In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. I'm sure you're aware that on February 2nd, there's a quaint tradition that holds that the entire fate of the winter depends entirely on a groundhog that burrows through the ground and pokes its head out today. If it sees its shadow because of the bright sun, well, it's going to retreat into its den and the winter will go on for another six more weeks. But if it does not see its shadow, because it's kind of cloudy, well, spring will arrive early. And, um, which was the case today, it was cloudy. So, But, obviously we know that that's an old superstition brought to North America by these Dutch Pennsylvanian Protestants. And um, it takes place in some village in Pennsylvania, but... Uh, Sometimes a lot of people go in just to see this groundhog pop, its, pop up its head and to watch this event. Okay, that's a nice tradition, I guess, or at least a superstition, but much more important for us today is that February 2nd also corresponds to the Feast of Candle Mass or the purification of Our Lady or the presentation of the Lord in the Temple, which takes place exactly 40 days after Christmas. It commemorates the day in which Mary and Joseph did that simple obligation required by the Mosaic law that every firstborn male in Israel had to be consecrated to the Lord 40 days after its, its birth and redeemed the sum that was deposited in the temple treasury. And, of course, the temple was in a in a practically literal sense, the dwelling place of the Lord. And uh, that's where divinity and humanity had embraced. But due to the sins of the nation, the prophet Ezekiel had uh, prophesied that, that God had left that temple and that the temple would be re-established as the right place of praise so that the glory of God might return. But he said that for now, the presence of God had left the temple. So when Joseph and Mary appeared there in the temple, well, that's exactly what they were doing. They were bringing back the glory of the Lord to that temple. And uh, it was really the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel who said that one day the glory of the Lord would return the glory of Yahweh coming back to his favorite dwelling place and this of course is exactly what Simeon the old man sees 
that's where we get the name candle mass it refers to a traditional procession and the blessing of candles that came to characterize this feast day it was done by one of the early popes uh, this idea of having a procession Pope Sergius the first and uh, why why candles well because because the aged Simeon took Jesus in his hands and said he was to be truly the light of for revelation to the Gentiles he was the light of the world in other words and that's why the church blesses candles as a symbol of Jesus's perennial presence and the light of faith lumen fide as Pope Francis said in his first uh, encyclical and it's also the the lumen fide that we receive uh, in baptism that he is the light of our life you are our light you are the one who lights up my life when I read about this you light up my life I remember the famous singer Debbie Boone who in 1977 sang a hit song called you light up my life and um, it was later made into a movie and lip-synced by Didi Khan who's in the, also in the movie Greece if you remember her and uh, it was a it was a kind of a schmaltzy romantic story about uh, this lady who sings this beautiful song light up my life and uh, there's a romance and she's about to get married with a guy but then she dumps the guy she takes for another guy and then he ends up dumping her and uh, there's not much light up my life you know <laughs> but but uh, nevertheless that song did win the the Oscar for the best song of the year in a movie but it's strange because there's some really bizarre lyrics where at the end Debbie Boone sings uh, it can't be wrong when it feels so right because you light up my life it can't be wrong because it feels so right Come on. but those were the 70s right 1977 it can't be wrong when it feels so right well we do have to be able to say to you Lord that you really do light up my life that song was about a person lighting up somebody else's life it was like a love affair it was okay it was nice but perhaps that's why we say it's schmaltzy because we know it doesn't really raise to the level of truth when we hear that but we know, we know that our Lord does. He really gives true direction to every moment of our life. Not, of course, just in the moments of the liturgy or in the Mass or in the prayer or in the reading or, well, for that matter, in any norm we do. Of course, we have to do those norms and those are, those are key foundational principles for us to really be able to say, like the Beatitude, you know, to hunger and thirst for justice then it was to hunger and thirst for holiness we we have to it has to be grounded in a life of prayer life of prayer it can happen that that when we're young we're enthused about our vocation and we're happy and we really see this as the light of our life but if we don't continue this with a life of prayer 
it can happen that after a number of years, many years even, that we can become lukewarm and we just go through the motions and in some way the Lord doesn't really light up our life. And what we can ask that, how does serving you, Lord, really light up my life? You light up my life. I invite you to go to YouTube and listen to it. It's a beautiful song. <laughs> and, uh, but it has to be really true for us. Now, we know our, our father coined the phrase that you're familiar with, the phrase, the heroic minute, the heroic minute, that instant when the alarm goes off and you leap out of bed, you bounce out of bed, and you offer your entire day. You see what you're going to do today. Maybe you're tired, but nevertheless, you leap out and you face the day. You get a surge of adrenaline in that moment. And your mind suddenly kicks into the reality that you have a day to face. And there are challenges. There are responsibilities in front of you. And your brain is stimulated by the adrenaline you've just received by throwing yourself out of the warm bed. And maybe as you think about all these things, you worry a little bit, you stress a little bit. But it's a good stress because all the powers within you are now focused on the task at hand. Like the pole vaulter running to get over that barrier, that bar. He has to concentrate on his objective. He cannot be laid back and just start running any time. He has to look at the hole where that pole goes in so he doesn't miss it. He tests the, the flexibility of that pole. He has to calculate the height of the bar that he has to throw himself over. He has to think that he has to go higher than the last time, where his feet are going to go. And he focuses and then he runs. His focus on where to put this bar in and then how to stretch himself over that pole. He knows he can't even risk grazing the bar because it will knock it off. It's so precariously perched up there. He wants to maybe get a record. So if your life, my whole life, is to be made holy, we have to start in that heroic minute. So we can really say, okay, Lord, you are the light of my life. You're going to enlighten everything I do. And really treasure that minute as a time for God. And we treasure it, of course, also because we know we're going to go do the prayer. That has to be the foundation of our day. There's also already, of course, prayer there in that first moment. That's prayer, the heroic minute, when we offer our day. And... Uh, it's a challenge that may go well, it's a challenge that may go kind of mediocre or even poor. But there is something there we can offer to God. And we have to really, if, if we want our Lord to illuminate our life, to be the light of our life, we have to do everything out of love. In 1932, our father wrote in the way, Do 
everything for love. Thus, there will be no little things. Everything will be big. Perseverance in little thing, little things for love is heroism. Heroism. And uh, maybe we can see how those little things are tied together as they are done out of love and that, that gives the meaning to what we call unity of life. The unity of life is that everything is stitched together and held together by that principle of doing things out of love. Love for God and love for others. Unity of life. Teresa of Avila wrote, We don't build towers without foundations. And the Lord does not look so much at the grandeur of works as at the love with which they are done. And so we ask our Lord now, how can I really do everything out of love? Out of love for God, but not just as a theoretical thing, but as a true love, because He lights up my life. But also out of love for those around me. Out of love even for those that may be around me, but I don't even see. And they don't see me. Everybody was completely bowled away by the by the Chinese year, you know, supper yesterday, trying to figure out what all these things were, right? And what those frozen things were. Nobody could figure it out, but it was good. It was really, really good. And uh, frozen hawthorns, we said, these are hawthorns? Oh, okay. That's what it said. These are frozen hawthorns. You know, but uh, they were they were amazing. Everybody could sense that they were everything was done out of love. It, it could be sensed. Or Saint Therese of Lisieux said, "I don't have any other way of showing my love than plucking flowers. That is to say, not allowing any small sacrifice to be missed. Not one glance. Not one word." using even the smallest things and doing them for love. So let's see if we can do all those small things. Somebody who did that well was uh, Dora Deloyo, who worked in the administration for many years. And uh, there was this article about the opening cause of her canonization that told a little bit how she'd lived in Spain, then she went to Rome and worked in the administration there, in the center in Rome. And she spent many years in very humble and above all hidden work. And there were many testimonies about her piety, her spirit of work. And, uh, but what often comes out is she was very hidden. And she can intercede for us, Dora, to help us in our spirit of service, but also by the fact that her her work was hidden. In other words, it was hidden and there was no opportunity to live praise or receive praise that was really done out of in front of God. And we need many saints like Dora to help us always work in front of God. That's that's the essence of the unity of life is to be working in front of God have this authentic, lifelong rectitude of intention.
I read um, today about a the opening of a cause of uh, canalization for a young martyr in Pakistan who was martyred because he was a security guard for a church in Pakistan, in Lahore, Pakistan, when suddenly there was like a thousand people in the church and uh, this suicide bomber came and he wanted to get through. He said, no, no, you can't get through here. I'm not letting you through. I'm willing to die. And then the guy set off the suicide jacket and blew himself up and of course killed him. And uh, he was willing to die and he did ended up saving many, many hundreds of people in the church. The, the fellow blew up the side of the church, but, but still many, many people were saved. Had it not been for his heroism and his willingness to die, I mean, many more would have died. And in some ways it's also quite hidden because... Uh, you know, was and nobody really knows much about his life. Do you know a few tidbits? Right? But uh, it was an instant, instantaneous thing. Dora, well, she lived a very humble and hidden life. One of the women in the process of canonization said, "Flowers for the altar." were to go between the candlesticks not and not to come into contact with the altar cloths and they were not to be put in vases with water in this way having nothing that could prolong their life they would be a holocaust for the Lord these beautiful flowers they would be a holocaust to the Lord and uh, well in that way Dora was a holocaust to the Lord, just as that young martyr in Pakistan was a holocaust to the Lord. He offered his life for the good of others. And uh, this, for us, has to be real, material, quantifiable unity of life. I too, Lord, want to be a holocaust to you, Lord. I want to give you everything. And the only way that can really happen is that you really light up my life. You are the light of my life. You are like the, the energy principle, the, the guiding principle. And uh, there's that anecdote that you may have heard that when our father went to a get-together, he noticed that Dora wasn't there. And he said, where is that daughter of mine who always wants to remain hidden? And he took advantage of her momentary absence to praise her very affectionately. Because he, he understood that you know how well how saintly she really was and it's beautiful how our father by emphasizing a lot this principle of unity of life that we do everything for love of God and cheerfully that this brought many many souls close to the Lord like Don Alvaro and, and Isidoro and uh, Monse and, and so many and, and Dora and, of course, a long list of, of saints. Why is this so important in the unity of life? Well, the, the book on the spirit of the work, it's called De Spiritu, says that our life is totally dedicated to God, the Father, through Christ our Lord. 
And one of the characteristics of our spirit, you could say our charism, whatever, our spirit, is this intimate union of ascetical, apostolic, secular aspects of our spirit. Like the, there's an intertwining of all these things. An intimate union that is held together by that, that thread that holds everything together, which is the love of God and the love of others. That holds together our ascetic life, that how we pray and how we do our norms, uh, how we do apostolate, how we see souls and bring them closer to the Lord. And then the secular aspects, how we work, how we, how we do our professional work. It's, they're all together part of a thread right? that's held together. And that really is a marvelous program for us. It leads us to what our Father described as that simple and strong unity of life. It's not a thread that is easily broken or right it's not just like a like a sewing thread it's something very solid and uh, we must know about it we must be able to teach others about it the trainees that come here in many ways they are trainees to learn about the meaning of unity of life we have to have it dora had it her work was always done in front of god even though, even though it was not always humanly recognized by being quite hidden, that nobody knew who did this work. We may want to work well, but we maybe want to be noticed. We want to make a good impression. We want people to say, oh, look, so-and-so did this well. So let's not get uh, caught by this danger. It's really got to be along that motto, Deo omnis gloria. Deo omnis gloria. All glory to God. All is done for God. Pope Benedict has spoken about this virus that can enter our soul and has entered the souls of some what he describes a kind of a weakening of the spine, those who just like to play to the crowd. In 2006, he, he spoke to theologians with a real warning. He said, to speak, to meet with applause, to speak oriented to what men want to hear, to speak obeying the dictatorship of common opinions, is considered a sort of prostitution of the word and of the soul. Imagine, these are very powerful words. Prostitution of the, of the word and the soul. If we just speak because we, we want some kind of applause or recognition or we have to give ourselves to God and, and really leave our, in some way leave ourselves behind. And... Uh, you know, leave a, living that unity of life will really give us a lot of peace. It will give us a lot of serenity. Because when we do our work for love of God, when we go to family life for love of God, there's a unifying factor there in everything. And uh, we go back to that unity and it kind of holds us together. It's, it's an occasion for us to rectify often 
It doesn't mean we don't have defects or limitations or errors, or, but we rectify. And that way we can, in the work we do, incorporate the deepest truths about our existence to such an extent that those truths affect everything we do. And one of the great truths is that God is not only omnipotent, but He is omnipresent, and He, he loves us to a degree that is, is hard to describe, you know, to an amazing degree. And we have to feel the gaze of God's love always on us, not like a, you know, one of those cameras that captures everything you do, like a hidden camera. But it's a loving gaze. It's a unique, loving, tender, loving gaze. That's why unity of life is aware of that and always gives us peace. If everybody could live according to that unity of life, our Father says that we're the greatest revolution of all time would take place. He says in Furl, If we Christians really lived in accordance with our faith, the greatest revolution of all times would take place. The effectiveness of our co-redemption depends on each one of us. You should meditate on this. So, meditating on this really means rectifying so that we are properly aligned and not doing things out of a desire for recognition or pure human fascination. We have to have a compass that always points north. Don Alvaro would speak about the North Star. The North Star that, you know, that, that guides us is, is the fulfillment of God's will. And this takes time, it takes a lifetime to get identified with God's will. And it helps us you know, to develop muscles so we can do that fast. So let's ask uh, our Blessed Mother, who, well, who is following the law of Moses in presenting her son 40 days after Christmas, uh, well, 40 days after her, her child was born. And she really did that because she wanted herself to always do everything according to the law of God, according to the will of God. Let's ask her to intercede for us so that we too may be illuminated by God's will and thereby really live that unity of life. You know? So we can too, we can say in a real way, you light up my life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Dark, but now you